Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we ask now that you come by your Holy Spirit in this preaching. And just like we prayed in the college for the day, that this would be a means by which you keep your household, the church, continually in true religion. That you keep us centered on, focused on, clinging to the cross of Christ. And that in clinging to, trusting in the cross of Christ, we would find your mighty power. And we ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So I was thinking about this theme of wisdom, and, and as we go, you'll see also the, the idea of human intellect. Uh, I came across the story of Bertrand Russell, and you might recognize that name. Bertrand Russell is a famous 19th century, early 20th century philosopher, mathematician, uh, famously an, an atheist philosopher and mathematician. He won a Nobel Prize in 1950. He was a, a stratospheric intellect. He once described himself as a logic machine, and by that he meant that he could spot uh, in an inconsistency or an illogical or a non, uh, an argument that was not well-founded on evidence from a mile away. Like he, like he was just born to crush bad arguments. That's what he meant by logic machine. And he became famous, he became influential, he became prestigious and well thought of because of his intellect. And yet as he reflected on his own life, later in his life, he shares with us just how impotent his intellect was to give him what he most deeply desired and deeply longed for. This was a man who was married four times and had multiple mistresses. And he wrote later in life, this is a quote, the root of the whole thing, of, of my whole life, the root of the whole thing is loneliness. I have dreamed of a combination of spiritual and physical companionship. And if I ever had the good fortune to find it, I could have become something better than I shall ever be. He was deeply longing for acceptance and love, companionship, and, and did you notice that last part? He wanted to be a better man. He wanted to be better than he could be on his own. He needed power to help him become what he knew he ought to be. And that connects with our passage this morning because this theme of human wisdom and, and human intellect um, went Wisdom and intellect that's independent from God will promise us the world. It promises us utopia. It promises us that we'll solve all the problems. It promises us that we'll finally get to a place where we eradicate illness and poverty and there'll be no more war. And if we could just be smart enough, if we could just be wise enough, we would finally arrive at utopia and we would all be happy and we would live happily ever after. But the story of Bertrand Russell and the message of the scripture is that human intellect, independent from God, human wisdom, independent from God, can never deliver on what it, what it promises. And that, in fact, the power that we need is the very thing that seems most foolish to us, namely the cross. The life-changing power of God, it doesn't come through intellect, it doesn't come through wisdom. The power that you need, the longings that you have, the, the, the deep longing for love and acceptance, and to be better than you are, all that power comes only through the cross of Christ. That's what Paul is telling these, these Corinthians in this letter, and that's the message for us this morning. The life-changing power of God comes through the cross. Now, first of all, notice um, why am I talking so much about wisdom and, and intellect? Now, these Corinthian Christians, 
as you might remember from the last couple of weeks of readings, they become divided. There's like factions happening in their church. And what, what's going on is um, these Corinthians are suckers for image and power and influence. Like if something seems powerful, they are just like magnetically, gravitationally drawn to that. And so they begin to look at their leaders and say, oh, this guy's better than that guy, and this guy's a better speaker, and this guy's smarter, and this guy's this, and this guy's that. And so they've divided themselves up and created these factions. And so Paul is writing to contradict that, to undercut all of that, and to say that your community is built on Christ. One New Testament scholar summed up the message of 1 Corinthians this way. He says that these Corinthians, quote, have become addicted to power, prestige, and pride particularly through uh, this Greek wisdom tradition that leads to a flagrant and flamboyant lifestyle. If you know the rest of the book of 1 Corinthians, you know how that flagrant and flamboyant lifestyle is working it out there. In other words, they have, though they have come to faith in Jesus, they've quickly moved on to look for the higher wisdom or the deeper wisdom. They want, they want things that seem impressive, you know? The, the cross and its call to humility and self-denial, well, that doesn't really fit too well if you want to become impressive or important or prestigious or powerful. And so they're looking for the answer to sort of puff themselves up, to build a platform, to seem bigger and better than they are. Gordon Fee, another New Testament scholar, he, he sums it up this way. He says they've moved beyond the cross, but they discover that to move beyond the cross is not to, quote, move on at all, but to abandon Christ altogether. You know, the cross, the cross is not JV Christianity, and you've got to figure out varsity Christianity. <laughs> the, the cross is the heart of Christianity. To move beyond the cross is not to move on at all, but to abandon Christ altogether. And that's the danger that these Corinthians have fallen into. And Paul writes and says, look, guys, the power, that you're, the power of the cross is a greater power than the power of the world that you're longing for through wisdom. Notice in verse 19, God has set himself against worldly wisdom, against human intellect, uh, independent human intellect. In verse 19, Paul quotes from Isaiah and says that God said he would destroy the wisdom of the wise. God has set himself in opposition, or maybe a better way to say it is that independent human intellect and independent human wisdom has set itself in opposition to God. In verse 20, you get these rhetorical questions, and the answer is, uh, there's an implied answer when, God, when Paul asks, has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? The answer is yes. God has made foolish the wisdom of the world. God is in opposition to independent human intellect. And I'm saying, I'm using that, that phrase, independent human intellect, because back in Isaiah, if you look at that passage, that quotation is coming from a setting where there's false prophets who've said, yeah, yeah, I know that Isaiah is saying this, but God's not going to do that. I know, I know Isaiah is saying that there's judgment coming, but God's not going to judge. Right? He's not, he's not going to judge us. I know we've been disobedient. I know we haven't kept the law from our heart, but he's not going to judge us. In other words, they're setting themselves up as knowing better than God what God is going to do. And it goes on in verse 15 to say that they hide their thoughts or they hide their counsel in their heart as if God doesn't know what's deep in their hearts. They, Isaiah says they flipped it. They've made themselves, who are the pots, uh, as lords over the potter, who is God. So there's a conflict between this impulse to move intellect and wisdom out from under the lordship of God and to want to pursue human intellect and human wisdom 
as an independent endeavor. But none of these systems of intellect, none of these ideas, not not Bertrand Russell, nobody would have imagined that the way God was going to save the world was through the cross, right? Like if you're going to make a plan to rescue your people, the Jews, and to bring salvation to the Gentiles, which is what Epiphany is all about, is, is this the plan you would have chosen? Okay, second person of the Trinity, divine son, you're going to go be born as a little baby in the midst of an incredibly dangerous world um, to a tiny little insignificant people who are under Roman oppression. And then when you grow up, um, you're not going to raise an army, you're going to die. And that's how I'm going to save the world. That's what God says. No human intellect would have imagined that. Because human intellect goes to power. It goes to influence. It goes to wealth. It goes to resources. While God's wisdom goes to humility and sacrifice and love. Now, one application of this for us as we think about independent intellect, because I want, I want you to hear me, intellect's not bad. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying there should be an anti-intellectualism, uh, an anti-science, or any, anti-anything attitude in Christianity. I'm saying that our intellects are supposed to be under the lordship of God. That when we have a question, when we have a doubt, when we have a confusion, where do we turn? Do we turn inward? Do we turn to our peers? Do we turn to Dr. Google? Or do we come back to the scriptures? Do we say, Holy Spirit, help me to understand this? Or even if I can't understand it, help me to get to a point where I can hold it in tension and continue to walk in obedience to you. You remember the man who came to Jesus who said, Lord, I believe. What did he say? But help my unbelief. There's a mixture in us of belief and unbelief. And it makes all the difference in the world what you do with and where you take that unbelief. And that's what Alpha is all about. You know, if you have questions, if you have objections, you want, you want to process through things, that's, that's what Alpha's for. You can come and, and hear, here's what the scriptures say, here was, here's what Christians believe, and then you work it through. But you, you're, you're coming to Christ to hear Christ's answers, not to Bertrand Russell or uh, Richard Dawkins or, or whoever the person that you look to might be. There's a type of doubt that's absolutely welcomed in Christianity, and questions are encouraged. The key is that we take those questions to the scriptures. We take those questions to God. You know, a good good, uh, reflection for us is maybe to ask, when have I ever changed my beliefs based on what scripture says? Have you ever done that? Have you ever said, you know, I always thought it was this way, but I'm looking at this passage and this passage and this passage, and it seems like God's saying the opposite. That might be, might be, I'm not saying it is, but it might be, a place where intellect is getting loose of the lordship of God. Now, it's not just intellect, though. Uh, there's, a, there's a very specific type of intellectual thing that's happening in 1 Corinthians, and, and I, we have to, I have to explain it to you, so try to track with me. Um, it's, there's an issue of this thing called rhetoric. So in the first century, rhetoric um, is about being a persuasive engaging speaker and you have like orators people who that's how they make their living that's how they make their platform is going around and giving public speeches and discourses and engaging in debates and these sorts of things and so initially when rhetoric first started it was all about getting people to the truth you know it was all about thinking okay what should you do as a speaker how should you make an argument how should you use tone of voice and gesture and these sorts of things to help people track with you until they arrive at the truth But by the time of this letter in 1 Corinthians, the truth has gone out the window. 
And it's all about building platform. It's all about making money. It's all about uh, building prestige. These are the first century equivalent of entertainment news, whatever that means, right? Uh, it's about scoring points against the other side. It's about um, curating your image so you can influence what other people think. It's about sounding persuasive, but really there's no meat on the bone. It's all that sort of stuff. And these Corinthians, again, they anything that looks powerful, anything that looks smart, anything that looks influential, they are absolutely suckers for it. They want it. They want to be like that. You know, they want to be an Instagram influencer. They want to be on entertainment news. They want to be the person that everybody, when there's a, um, when something happens in the culture, they want to be the one that, you, that, that people go to for a hot take, right? This is, First Corinthians, they, they live for this. So you're, you're hearing how I think this applies to our culture, right? I think on one level, we would think, oh, well, we don't do rhetoricians and orators and all this blah, 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 nerdy Bible stuff that you're talking about. But don't we? Don't we in all those little ways that I mentioned? And don't we even in the church? Aren't there so many ministries that are built around the charisma and platform of a, of a good preacher who says nonsense and garbage from the pulpit, who doesn't preach the Bible or the cross? but preaches health and wealth and prosperity, we are constantly, we, we fall into it. You know, we, we do these things like, oh, it's on Amazon in the, in the Christian category. It must be good. No. No, it's probably not good. <laughs> we, we are just like these First Corinthians. We are just like them. We can fall into the same thing. And so it's important that we uh, submit ourselves to the word of the cross. You know, a great question would be, um, this intellectual idea or this book or this preacher or this person, are they leading me to have the values uh, that reflect the cross or are they leading me to have the values of the world? As I pursue this, this person or I read this book, is it making me puffed up? Is it making me proud? Is it making me feel important and prestigious? And, or is it saying, humble yourself, deny yourself, take up your cross, the way up is down, the only way to life is to die, that's a great way to think through these issues. God's not against wisdom. He's not against intellect, but as B.E. said to me before, he's, a, he's against intellect as God or wisdom as God. But the cross is the power of God to save. The intellect, these are empty, <clears throat> they're empty cisterns, right? They leak, like Jeremiah says. But the power of uh, the word of the cross is the power of God to save. Now, there's bad news, and it's hard to hear. There's bad news before there's good news. Verse 18, it says that we are perishing. That's Paul's sort of nice way of saying we're under the wrath of God. But if you look at that word perishing throughout Paul's letters, it's the recognition that on our own, we face judgment. On our own, we're, we are not reconciled with God. We are far away, alienated, running and rebelling from God. We are perishing. But Christ, you know, the Christ that we read about in the presentation, he comes, he's born as one under the law, and he keeps the law perfectly, and he is the one who will be the consolation of Israel and the light to the Gentiles. Through Christ crucified comes the wisdom and power of God into our life, the wisdom and power of God that helps us to live this life of self-denial, take up your cross in humility. Verse 21, Paul says, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach, the cross, 
to save those who believe. We have been rescued from God's wrath. We've, God's wrath has been poured out on Christ and it has been satisfied and set aside so that if you are in Christ, you are now part of the household of God. And in fact, even our own coming to faith is owing to God calling us and bringing us home. It's the cross, this message of God's reconciling love that changes us and gives us what we most deeply need. It's the word of the cross where the wisdom and power of God is found. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, who was a uh, 19th century British preacher, uh, he once said, the preaching of Christ is the whip that flogs the devil. The preaching of Christ is the thunderbolt, the sound of which makes all hell shake. There ain't no power like that in our minds. But the word of the cross is the wisdom and power of God. And in verse 26, so he turns and says, okay, 1 Corinthians, uh, he probably didn't call him that. Okay, Corinthians, we call him 1 Corinthians. Okay, Corinthians, uh, you say you want to be powerful, you say you want to be wise, you say you want to be influential, look at yourselves. It, if, if God only accepted those who were wise and powerful and influential and seemed important, you yourselves wouldn't have been accepted. Verse 26 and following. Because you, not many of you, were wise. According to worldly standards, not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. The, the church is so, supposed to be the sign of the cross, the sign of the wisdom of God, the sign that human intellect and, and ethnic background, because he also says it's for the Jew and the Gentile, and there's nothing on the human side of the equation that makes you acceptable to God. It is all God, and so there's no boasting. All people are welcomed through the cross. You know, what, one of the ironies of, of intellect is that it ultimately excludes other people, right? Intellect, independent of God, it ultimately says we're the smart people, y'all are the dumb people. I mean, have, have we not seen the, the political discourse in the last six or seven years? Intellect, independent of God, ultimately excludes people. It ultimately undercuts the very thing our culture says is most important, including other people. But the cross says all are welcome through Jesus. In other words, if out in the world you feel foolish, you feel like you're not wise, you feel like you're not important, this is the place for you. That in Christ you can come to God and be part of the household of faith. I, I thought of the, the old hymn, uh, Rock of Ages, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to thy fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. We bring nothing in our hands, but the cross is the wisdom and power of God. It nullifies our boasting. It nullifies the factions. It nullifies saying, I'm of, I'm of Cephas, I'm of uh, Apollos, I'm of Paul. No, you're of Christ. And isn't that, isn't that a beautiful message in our day and age? That, that people who are very different, ethnically, culturally, socially, educationally, economically, we have Christ in common. We can be a witness of the kingdom through the power of God in the cross. And this is all God's doing. We didn't come up with it. We didn't achieve it. We didn't work really hard to get there. But it is all God. In verse 24 um, and 26, Paul talks to these Corinthians about God called them. 
They were called. In verse 27, twice it says that God chose them. God chose what was foolish in the world. God chose what was weak in the world. In verse 28, he says it again. God chose those things which were nothing. In verse 30, it's because of him or out of him or from him that you are in Christ. It was all God. There's no ground for boasting. Don't boast in your intellect. Don't boast in your wisdom. Don't boast in your your prestige, your power, your pride, your background. Don't boast in anything except for the cross of Christ. Paul says, don't look down on one another. Don't carve up the church based on worldly wisdom or what seems important or impressive. The gospel absolutely rules out this sort of foolishness because it is the wisdom of God. And it's only in God, to come back to Bertrand Russell, it's only in this message of the cross that the things that we most deeply long for are fulfilled. We all want to be better than we are. I mean, I think our conscience is constantly plaguing us. We can't even live up to our own moral standards, right? You know, we we make the New Year's resolution and then we fall short. And we get stuck in a pattern of sin and we say, I'm not going to do that anymore. And tomorrow you do the same thing. I'm going to stop speaking to my wife that way. I'm going to stop treating my kids that way. I'm going to stop doing that thing, right? And we're trapped if we rely on intellect and we rely on wisdom and we rely on ourselves. But Paul says, Christ has become to us righteousness. Our standing with God is not, God doesn't look at my win-loss record. He looks at Jesus's and it's all W's. That should preach in Jacksonville right? It's all W's. When God looks at you, if you have faith in Jesus, when God looks at you, he sees the perfect record of Christ, and you are accepted. You don't have to earn your way in. You don't have to think your way in. You don't have to prove your way in, but Christ has made a way. You are, um, you have been given sanctification, holiness, and transformation. You are becoming, by the Holy Spirit and the, the sacraments and the preaching of the gospel and the means of grace, you are becoming what you know you ought to be, and God is not done with you yet. He has become sanctification, and he has become redemption. He's purchased us out of slavery to be his treasured possession. You are accepted. You're free from the world, the flesh, and the devil through the cross. Christ is the wisdom of God. The cross is what we really need. The life-giving, the life-changing power of God is found not in our intellect, not in wit, wisdom, or working, but in the word of the cross. So cling to him. Amen. Our Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. It's, it's a cliche that we say, but it's a cliche because it is so deeply true and so simple. So Lord, help us as we seek to live our lives in relationship to you, to know that we are accepted by what Christ has done and to live out of the freedom which you have given us and the power which you have given us in the cross. Lord, God forbid it that we should ever be a church that says, I am of this person or I am of that person or I am of another. But Lord, let us all say, I am of Christ. And as we seek to to live this way, to live out this faith, let us be a sign to the world of your acceptance, forgiveness, and love. And we ask for all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.